Good morning, everyone. How are we doing this morning? Was that good? I can't, can't hear you. <laughs> All right, let's stand together and worship God this morning.
Hello and good morning, church. You may be seated. Thank you all for coming today. It's great to be in the house of the Lord, and it's even better to see it fill back up, and uh, we get to share in the blessing of doing life together, and in that blessing of doing life together, sometimes in life, things change, and in that sense, somebody has to go, and in this case, the somebody that has to go are two very important people plus one super sweet, lovely baby. And I hear the baby and the dad coming. So would you guys hold on as we get Papa Ben. Oh, how can we say goodbye to she? She's been part of so many Zoom staff meetings, Cheyenne. We're not going to know what to do when it comes to staff meetings. Stella, our, she's our favorite staff meeting person. And I hope you guys can really just reach a hand out and pray with us as we get ready to send to Tennessee. Nashville doesn't know what's coming, right? San Diego got Pearl this week. I feel like the Dodgers trading list here. San Diego got Pearl this week, and Nashville gets the Sabins. And guys, they're going to come, and they're going to go, and we're going to be blessed to do life with them. But let's take a moment right now to commission this family 
and pray for that church that's about to get the socks blessed off them. Amen? Father God, we stand before you in what is an absolute glorious moment because when Ben and Cheyenne and Stella came here just some time ago, Father, we weren't we had no idea what that would mean, nor do we have any idea when any new person walks through the door. But we think of one thing. I just think of talking to some of the new people that walked through the door this morning that you can walk through this door one day and a year later you can walk away family. You can walk away knowing that you're loved, that you're cared for, and, and we'll leave the light on for you. We'll always have a seat for you here at Lighthouse Community Church, and we're so excited about what you've done with this family, about what Ben has been able to do for the church and just upgrading so many different things that just give us a chance to do ministry for so many years to come. And how Cheyenne decided to share her, her voice talents with us, starting with the young adults. And that's led all the way out here to the front, to this front stage, to where the word of God not only is spoken, but the word of God is sung. And we've just been so blessed by Zoom meetings with her little daughter and just the preciousness of life, Father. I know there's a church right now in Nashville. I know right now there's another pastor just praying if I only had someone who could sing, if we only had some tech help, I remember Ben saying when I got here, I do tech for life, so I want to stay away from it. And man, you put them right in the midst of tech here, Father. We couldn't be who we are without them. And that not that just who you are? Making jars of vessels into these amazing things that bless so many. Thank you for Pearl sending her to San Diego. I pray that there's a church praying for her as well, Father, a godly woman coming down there because somewhere in Nashville today, that church is gathering and they do not know what's coming their way. Good things do come from California and it's the Sabins and we're sending them to Nashville because we love them and we're grateful for the life that you've given to them here and now we give it back to them and say, Father, use your servants Use them to your honor and glory, and may the kingdom of God continue to multiply by the talents that you have so wonderfully supplied on behalf of this church. Thank you for their great work here. We do it all and say it all in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We love you guys dearly. Be blessed. Did you straight up say, can anything good come from California? You know what? I am happy to have the Sabins representing California. Um, and, and just before we dive in this morning, just as a, they epitomize my prayer for our small community. Because this, this community has never been about being a cruise ship where we can just come and sit and be entertained and fed. And all we ask is you throw a little coinage in every once in a while and then all of the professional Christians will kind of entertain you. We're not good at that, nor do we have any desire to be that. We are a clipper ship in the best sense of the word. There is no passengers who just simply sit. Every single one of us on this clipper ship have the opportunity and the responsibility to dive in and say, I'm going to bring all of myself to bear on what we have been commissioned to do, namely to be representatives of Jesus Christ. And Ben and Cheyenne are an absolutely beautiful picture of that. Two years ago, they showed up, a young Freshly married couple looking to find community. Two years later, they leave not only with a beautiful daughter, but they leave having left fingerprints all over this community. And that is my prayer for each of you. I don't know how long we will have any of you. We recognize that as a church community, we don't get to like grasp you and keep you because you're, you are our precious, every single one of you, but you're not ours to keep. Because we've been blessed in order to be a blessing. God has loved us and invited us to join him in the process of representing him to the world. And so every blessing that we have, ultimately we hold it out and say, God, help yourself to this. Use me. Use my time. Use my talents. Use my treasures. And I will tell you, our greatest treasure is you. And today, you get a picture of how I hope we will continue to be as a church where we hold everything loosely and say, God, thank you for blessing us in the last two years with this family. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to now send them to bless another community. And God, send those that you want to be a part of this community. And I hope that if you are a part of this church, you will invest yourself. Because that's what we're here for. Okay, with that, if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Because this is the conversation 
that I have been waiting since January to have with you. The one we're having today is the conversation that I have been chomping at the bit for how many months now? Is it like nine, ten months that we have been kind of in this interminably long year? I, I had Merv showed up this morning with 2021 calendars. I've never been excited to get a calendar. I'm excited to get a 2021 calendar. We're that close, right? Um, but, but this is the conversation that I have been waiting for nine and a half months to have with you. Because today the, the passage we're going to look at is not just the center of, of Paul's letter to the Philippians. It's not just his thesis statement that the rest of his letter begins to unpack. It has become to me the single most important passage in all of scripture for this season. It has been for me the, the one passage I return to again and again and again to just grapple with how do I navigate this really trying season? How do I love people who think differently and act differently and vote differently than me? How do I treat them in the midst of this craziness where I feel like the world around me is changing and not necessarily for the better? How do I respond? And I find myself going to Philippians chapter 2 over and over and over again. Now, before I dive in, just a, a tiny bit of context to remind you what we've already learned over the last couple of weeks as we've started this. In this letter, a letter that Paul wrote to believers living in the Roman outpost town of Philippi, believers living surrounded by people who don't view God, or don't view Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. They view the... the, the the emperor of Rome, Nero, as their savior and their lord. Paul is writing to believers, not only to say thank you for their financial gift, but also to remind them who they are and what they are to be about. And there's some really important things that he's already reminded them of. As followers of Jesus, there's some fundamental things that are different about them. Number one, their standing with God is different. Yes, they, like us, have sinned. They have fallen short of God's righteous standard. And yet, because of what Jesus did on the cross, they're not defined by their sin. Instead, they are saints. They have been set apart by God as his people. Secondly, this means that their citizenship has changed. Yes, they may reside within the empire of Rome under the kingdom of the Roman king, but they are now fully citizens of the kingdom of God. And this means that their allegiance has changed. They no longer pledge their allegiance to whomever sits on the throne of Rome. Caesar is not their king. Nero does not determine their values. Jesus is now their king. They pledge their allegiance to him. And because of that, Paul now suggests that their values ought to follow suit. No longer should the values of the kingdom of Rome dictate the way that they interact with one another. No longer should the values of Nero be their values. Instead, their values become shaped by their relationship with Jesus. His values become their values. And now as we begin in Philippians chapter 2, Paul begins to illustrate how the values of the kingdom of God are different from the values of the kingdoms of this world, whether that be Rome or America. So he says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any common sharing in the spirit, if you have any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having that same love that you've experienced from Jesus, being one in spirit and one in mind. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing 
by taking the very nature of a servant or a doulos, a slave, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, Master, to the glory of God the Father. There's a ton there. It's actually going to take us a couple of weeks to unpack that. And in a moment, we'll begin to do that. But before we get there, I just want to acknowledge first our context. Because the reality is, even though we say that we are citizens of the kingdom of God, we reside within the kingdom of America. We reside within an earthly kingdom. And it's important for us to understand what we have been shaped by. So that we can begin to understand why what Paul is suggesting is so radical in its posture and its, in its approach to other people. So just, just bear with me for a couple of minutes as I paint a picture of what we all experience day after day. Humanity has a, a tendency to want to improve our station in life, right? It doesn't matter where you were born, when you were born, how you were born, what language you, you spoke when you were born. Humanity throughout history has wanted to improve our standing in the world, has wanted to be able to gather a little bit more than we had when we started so that we could be more secure, so that we could be more comfortable. But here's a problem. There's a whole lot of other people that want the same thing. And so what ends up happening is that we begin to look at other people not as fellow human beings or, or fellow image bearers of God. We begin to look at other people as competition. Competition for the same things that we want, that we need, that we feel like we deserve. Whether that be, you know, possessions, money, property, power, influence, approval. We begin to compete with one another. And the history of the world is really marked by battle after battle after battle as people go to war both within homes and neighborhoods and cities and countries and, world, and the whole world. We battle one another for the things we think we need to try to wrest them from other people's hands so that we can have them ourselves. And sometimes these wars are fought with swords. Might makes right, right? Sometimes these wars are fought with words. But they can be just as cutting. And at the end of the day, we find ourselves in a world where people are trying to push one another down so that we can rise up. You know, if there is a word that I think epitomizes the approach that the world takes towards one another, it would be humiliation. Merriam-Webster defines humiliation this way. To reduce someone to a lower position in one's own eyes or other's eyes. To reduce someone. To make them smaller so that we feel bigger. To push them down so that we feel like we rise up. And guys, we see this all around us, right? I see it in my own home. My kids have this natural tendency to compare with one another, to compete with one another. I know, Patrick and Aiden, you totally don't do this to one another. But my boys are constantly like, oh, I can do that better than you can. Grayson goes, hey, I just finished my math homework. And Ethan's like, your math is easy. I'm like, well, I would hope so. You're three years older than him. Of course it's easy for you, buddy. And yet, as I look at our society, I realize we don't really outgrow this tendency to compare and compete. We just learn how to hide it better or if we don't hide it, then to justify it, 
right? To justify our, our comparison and our competing and our pushing others down, belittling them, making them look smaller in our own eyes or others' eyes so that we can rise up and feel bigger and better about ourselves. I mean, 2020 has been a very interesting, difficult year. And it has given us many opportunities for us to recognize the differences between us and other people. And there's been a lot of conflict around things like closing down churches, closing down schools, closing down businesses in order to try to stem the, the, the spread, right? Or at least to flatten the curve. Or the mandation of wearing face masks. Or racial friction out of a desire to see racial reconciliation and equality. Or, you know, um, the election just as, a, as, an, as an option of an area that there's potentially some friction in. Right? Pick any of those or any of the other ones that come to mind because there's plenty. Those are just the tip of the iceberg in 2020 of the areas of friction we find ourselves surrounded by. And let me ask you a question. I want you to ask yourself, how have I thought and acted towards people who disagree with me on any of those topics? How have I thought about them? Have I approached them with respect or have I approached them with disdain? Have, they, have I sought to understand their perspective or have I simply tuned them out? How have I spoken about them, whether in private, within the, the, the safety of my own home, or publicly, on social media? I'll confess that it is really, really easy to begin to look at people who think and act differently than me. It's really easy to begin acting with contempt, to begin pushing them down in my own mind so that I can feel better about myself. And it's not like it's it's not like it's just in, inside of us. It's all around us. Like we are inundated with humiliation tactics. You go on social media, it's right in your face, right? You go on any news station and you begin to see. You don't even need to know what, what their position is. You just watch it for five minutes and you begin to recognize the bent, the narratives that are being presented as they present one side versus the other side. And now even our mailboxes are no longer safe. I mean, just for, just, just for fun, these keep showing up. This is just from this week. And here's the crazy part. These are all entreaties to me and my family about how I should vote. And the craziest part in all of this is this is their best pitch. They have spent money to mail these things. And two-thirds of them are actually focused more on their opponents, saying this is why you should never vote for that person. This person stinks. Vote for me, right? And it's like, stop it. I can't take anymore. If you... And don't even get me started on the debate. I mean, seriously, it's just everywhere. Humiliation is the way that our world works. And it reminds me of people who are drowning. Davey, you know, I mean, you, you teach swimming. People who are drowning are, are people who are flailing. They will do anything they can to survive. And the first thing I was taught as a, a Newport Beach lifeguard was when you approach somebody who's drowning, you don't just swim up to them. Because they will drown you in order to get a breath. They will push you down in order to push their heads above the water for even one more breath. Which is why we're taught you approach them with a buoy. The buoy doesn't need to breathe. You do. We're surrounded by people who are drowning, drowning in fear, drowning in anger, 
about how things are going and about how other people think. Drowning in insecurity about what the rest of this year, let alone the rest of this decade, let alone like what the future looks like. We are drowning in what we find going on in our society. And some of us, by the way, are drowning. Some of us feel overwhelmed and we are flailing any way we can to push another person down so we can just get a breath. That is the way of the world. It's been the way of the world since Paul wrote this letter. But there's another way. And what Paul lays out here is another way. So let's go back now to Philippians 2. And let's just begin to look at the alternative of going through life, humiliating others, making them smaller, if only in our own eyes, so that we can seem bigger pushing people down so that we can rise up. Let's look at another way. Verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do not be driven by the mindset that you are better than others and therefore you just need to climb higher and higher and make your name great. Don't let that be your motivation. Rather, in humility... Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So what Paul is suggesting is that the alternative to humiliation, to making people smaller, to pushing people down, is humility. Is beginning to think of others ahead of yourself is beginning to concern yourself with the concerns of people around you. But I want to caution us from simply looking at humility as simply the opposite of humiliation, because if we approached it that way, if humiliation is pushing other people down, is making other people seem smaller, then humility's got to be that we just turn our sights on ourselves and we start doing that to ourselves, right? Oh, I am a no good, very bad, terrible human being. I don't deserve anything. They're so much better than me that they should go ahead. They should get the raise. They should get whatever it is that we're focused on. They should have it because I stink. That is not what he means by humility. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves. Rather, humility is thinking of ourselves less. Again, humility is not thinking less of ourselves. Humility is thinking of ourselves less so that we can begin to see another person's needs, so that we can begin to concern ourselves not only with our own needs, but with the needs of another. Now, in case my, my definition of humility is suspect... Paul provides us with an example to help illustrate what he means. And that example is Jesus himself. So let's keep reading. Verse 5. In your relationships with one another, you should have the same mindset or the same posture as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being found in human likeness. In the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Our attitude, our posture in interacting with other people should be the same as Jesus Christ. Now, let's think about Jesus for a moment. Jesus modeled humility for us. But what Jesus did not do is say, oh, I suck. Everybody else is better, therefore I should just die. They shouldn't. That wasn't his motivation at all. Jesus knew who he was. He knew he was God in human flesh. Or as Paul puts it here, he was in very nature God. You don't get any more important. You don't get any more secure in your identity than that. Jesus knew who he was. He knew what he was about. He was about his father's business. That was what he was about. He had an audience of one. And so he didn't need other people to tell him 
what to do. He didn't need to try to curry the favor of other people. He didn't need to accumulate lots of stuff to feel good about himself and to build his own fragile you know, sense of self up. Jesus was as firmly footed in his identity as anybody in history. And because of that, he could approach people with a strength that I don't know that a lot of us carry around in ourselves. And Jesus easily could have taken his position of prestige and power and, and, you know, he could have easily said other people should serve me because, come on, I am the divine logos through which God spoke the world into being. I'm the one he made it for. I'm the king of creation. Bow down. Right? He could have easily started doing miracles. Oh, hey, you know what? Here, you know, woman who's bleeding, you don't have to bleed anymore. Person who's, you know, been, been, been suffering from demon possession, boom, you're free. Look, I can even walk on water. I can moonwalk on water. I'm the man. Bow down. He could have done that, but he didn't. Instead, from his position of privilege and power, he reached down and began to lift others up. He emptied of himself of his need to be, his ego to be stroked or people to think he was the best. He emptied of himself of that and instead he took the posture of a doulos, of a servant, a slave. He put others ahead of himself in the most radical ways. Instead of demanding that people serve him, he served them. Instead of separating himself from the, the dirty masses, he moved towards those whom so many else in society ran away from. He touched people whom the religious elite called untouchable. In a really powerful display of this, on the night that he was going to be arrested at the final meal he had with his disciples, Rather than having one of them wash his feet like you would expect a servant to do to the master, he modeled servant leadership by washing their feet. Washing of feet was the lowest, most demeaning task anybody could do, and he did it intentionally to say, hey guys, in the way that I serve you, you ought to serve one another. And then later that night, when his time of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane was interrupted by an angry mob that was there to arrest him. Peter, kind of fighting in the way that the world tends to fight, Peter stood up for his master, right? He pulled his sword and he chopped the ear off of one of the members of that mob, like trying to protect Jesus. That's how the world operates. That's what we do. If you're going to try to take something of mine, I will come with force. Don't you, you know, whether it's a gun, a knife, legislation, whatever it takes, I will protect mine. And Jesus stops Peter and says, stop. Put the sword away. You live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Don't you realize, Peter, that if I wanted to, I could call upon the Father and he would send 12 legions of angels to defend me. But I'm not doing that. Because how else would the Father's will be done? I have come to do this, so let it happen. And then, then Jesus stoops down to the dirt and he picks up that bloody severed ear, wipes it off, reaches for the man who I know at this point must have just been huddling in pain with blood dripping down the side of his head, and he heals that man's ear. He heals his enemy's wound. And not 24 hours later, he hung on a cross to heal all of our wounds. Everybody's, including that angry mob, he died for them. He died for rebels throughout history. Irrespective of their political stance. And he died for you and me. That is how Jesus modeled servant leadership, and that is how Jesus lived out of his position of power. He knew who he was. 
He didn't need to elevate himself at the expense of other people. So instead, he expended himself by raising up other people. Even to the point of dying in their place. And so Paul goes on to say, because of this, because Jesus did not elevate himself, God did it. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that it's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, Master. Kurios is the Greek word there. It's the name that a slave would call his master, the one to whom he, he pledges his allegiance and he is devoting his life to serve. And it is all to God's glory. And Paul says, in the same way that Jesus has modeled this mindset, this approach to rebe- a rebellious people, So you should have the same attitude, the same sacrificial, others-focused attitude. Again, Jesus humbled himself. That does not mean that Jesus said, oh, I'm terrible. No, because humility isn't thinking less of ourselves. Humility is thinking of ourselves less so that we can begin to care about the needs of others. Humility is getting past ourselves. Past our own needs and wants. Humility is stopping looking at other people as if they're the competition. And instead looking at them as fellow image bearers of God. If you go back to that picture of um, people drowning in the water, the reason that we as Christ followers can reach out and begin lifting other people up is not because we look at ourselves and say, I suck, I should drown so that they can use me as a flotation device. That's not it. The reason we can do it is because we as Christ followers already have our feet firmly planted on the rock, Jesus Christ. So we don't need to be afraid of when people put us down. We don't need to return insult for insult. Because we are firmly established in our identity as sons and daughters of God and citizens of the kingdom of God who are about their master's business and have allowed his values to shape our values, we can begin to reach out to other people who are flailing. And we can begin to look for ways to raise them up. We can look for people who have no voice and we can begin, we who have a voice can begin to speak up for them. We who have the ability to stand on our own, can begin to stand up for people who don't have the ability or the the internal fortitude to do so. We can begin to reach out towards people who are drowning in their fears and their anger and their insecurity and raise them up even though, even though in so doing we will be scratched, bitten, injured, Mocked? Rejected? Jesus died for a whole bunch of people who ultimately rejected him. Jesus died for a whole bunch of people who mocked him. And yet he still died for them. And he didn't say God cursed them. No, as he hung on that cross, he said God forgive them for they know not what they do. So may we be the kind of people who are so firmly established in our identities as God's sons and daughters, so firmly committed to the idea that our allegiance is not to any political entity or to any earthly kingdom, but that we are fully citizens of the kingdom of God living in the kingdom of America that we begin to look at people not as competition, but we begin to look at people as as image bearers of God, many of whom do not know him, and that our hearts would break 
for them, that we would move towards them with love even when they move towards us with hatred. We would bless when they curse. When they persecute, we pray for them. That's the values of the kingdom of God. It is radical. And by our own strength, it is impossible. The longer we look at our lives as about this life and about our comfort and about our rights in this life, the harder it will be for us to lay our right to be right down. The harder it will be to move towards people who disagree with us or whose votes are going to negate our votes. The harder it will be to treat people who are just not all that Christ-like. If everybody was Christ-like, it would be easy. But it's not. So may we begin by being the yeast of the kingdom of God, living in a world that doesn't call Christ Lord. May we begin to live lives that slowly transform our spheres of influence through the way we treat one another, through the way we respond when people curse us, through the way that we move towards people who have less than us, through the way that we treat our stuff, not as ours, where we kind of go, God, God, what are you going to ask me for? But rather say, God, it's all yours, everything. Everything I got, my time, my talents, my treasures, it's all yours. May we be the kind of people who live open-handed lives. Would you pray with me? Father God, I am grateful <laughs> that you use imperfect vessels like us. We are sinners. We have sinned. We have fallen so short. And yet you look at us and you don't call us sinners. You call us saints. You have filled us with your Holy Spirit. You've, you've called us beloved. God, we pray that you would help yourself to our lives. That you would begin to transform us from the inside out. Holy Spirit, we invite you to begin to clean house. Would you reveal any areas of our lives where we have become self-reliant? where we have sought our own comfort over your kingdom values, where we have begun to look at another group or individual as competition or the enemy, and so treated them the way that the world treats enemies. Father, God, help us to begin to be more Christ-like in the way that we respond to people who are different than us. We submit our lives into your hands. Help yourself to us so that your kingdom advances and that your light of hope shines in, the in this really painful, really difficult season where all hope seems to be lost. May we not look to a political party to be our savior. May we be citizens of the kingdom of God here and now as your kingdom comes and your will is done first in our hearts and our homes but spilling out into this world so that others may come to call you king Jesus in your holy name amen let's worship together
together for this last song. Um, this is just a song. You guys have heard it before. It's King of Kings. I think the best way to treat other people better is to focus on the Lord and what he's done. So let's sing about that this morning.
we're going to miss you. We are going to miss you. Thank you for blessing us with your gift. Of course. Thank you. <sighs> yeah. yeah. As I was sitting there, uh, one thing that I just want to let you know is that we are in, in no way done mining the, the, the depths of what Paul reveals to us in this brief passage we just looked at. It is so meaty, and when you spend like over a year just sitting in one passage, you tend to see a lot. I got a lot more. I can't wait to share with you next week. So this, let's consider this part one. And the picture I get right now, we call this lighthouse, right? And the mindset can be that we are now the light, and the light is shining brightly on this little street corner in east side Costa Mesa. But the reality is that's never God's intention. That was never Christ's intention that the church would huddle in a building and be separated from the world. He instead said, now go and be my ambassadors of hope because the world desperately needs it. Go be light in the darkness. And so instead, I want you to picture this as a charging station. And you are God's lanterns filled with hope filled with purpose, filled with a new understanding of your identity, you are firmly established on the rock that is Jesus Christ. And now you get to go and shine in the darkness, in your spheres of influence, at your work, at your schools, for the two or three hours you actually get to spend there this week, I pray, or on your Zoom meetings, um, or in your conversations on your social media, or, or just in your families, in your, in your neighborhoods. You are light, the light of Jesus Christ. You are not here to draw people's attention to yourself. You are here to point people to the only one that can give them purpose, and a newfounded identity, you are here to help remind people that we have a Savior, and it is not anybody in America. It is not anybody on this planet. It is Jesus Christ, God incarnate. And the amazing thing is we carry him in our hearts. So now go be the church. Have a wonderful day.